Hello and welcome to the Four Color Nerds Comic Podcast, episode 39. I'm Rory and I'm joined by the other nerd, Marissa. Hey, hey. Ryan. Hello. Christina is off watching some theater bullshit. Together we take on the week's comics. Each week we read a variety of comics and gather here to discuss them. This is a review show, so there will be spoilers. If you don't want to hear spoilers, go and take a break and read the comic books. Come on back. Each week one of us picks our favorite book, and that's our pick of the week. This week I'm the nerd. So this week I'm picking Captain America, Steve Rogers number two. Our companion song with it is Joy Division, She's Lost Control, because it was kind of like a play on words, because you have both Cap, who is suddenly being changed from being his typical self to a mind-controlled puppet of Red Skull, and also because Red Skull also is a control freak, and he's trying to manipulate everything to his own thing, so there's my play on words. Confusion and arises, says it all, she's lost control, and she's clinging to the nearest passerby, she's lost control. And for the record, the theater bullshit she's off to see is Hamilton, which is amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. <laughs> so this is Captain America, Steve Rogers, number two, Marvel Comics. The writer is Nick Spencer. Aris is Jesus Says. This one is, it's like, of course, everybody had the big freak out about the Hail Hydra thing. And right afterwards, anybody who's paying attention to the series, they reveal exactly what we pretty much knew. And Matt, of course, called way, way before. They reveal in this one that Kobik has actually altered Captain America from what he was before. Man, never trust creepy little children. Yeah. She was manipulated. I really think it's interesting how she got twisted that way. Oh, you used to hold me all the time at when she was a cube. I thought that was really interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. For those of you that don't know, Kobik is basically a cosmic cube that's been formed into like human form, and they kind of like go through it in this issue. Uh, of course, you have the uh, nice uh, soliloquy in the beginning from Red Skull, who I gotta say, he's got, he gives like the best speeches. They really do a good job writing his body language really well, too. That yeah. artist has, uh, is tuned in to how megalomaniac tyrants give speeches. Nazis, yeah. <laughs> right, let's see the resume. My specialties in drawings are three quarter views and megalomaniacs. <laughs> <laughs> that page of Red Skull holding up the Cosmic Cube, that is, oh my god, that is amazing. Yes, a total, like, comic book pose badass shot. For that, they show Cap fighting over the cube, and he, like, throws... You know, I'm curious, because, you know, Cap severs Red Skull's arm, and I'm curious, okay, what happened with that? Did he just magically grow it back, or does he have some sort of crazy robot arm? Because it didn't really this show This is any- a flashback to an old incident. Ah, okay, I see. Gotcha. He just grew it back, yeah. you know comic book magic he's also got a cosmic cube so (laughs) cap throws a shield through his arm which was a pretty cool shot and that splits this cosmic cube into a bunch of fragments which of course they tried to harness the power of it and then eventually it explodes and the cube becomes this little girl looking like the silver surfer the power cosmic which is what the silver surfer has so Yes, that's why I made the reference, actually. <laughs> I'm not sure, though, because that's the thing is that Silver Surfer's imbued her cosmic, but she's pure cosmic power. I would say that she's probably more powerful than Silver I Surfer. Agree. 
telling like the backstory of how all this stuff happens. So they're trying to lure Dr. Selbig in. He's all against it until they show Kobig in her new form. And then that kind of like gets him lured into it. Then it, it immediately cuts forward into my favorite scene of this book, which is you see all these like chef's pistols to the bottom of their jaw and shooting their heads off. Red Skull's like, I'm so bored. I love that we have a villain who is actually fucking evil. Not just has a different worldview or whatever, yeah. but just pure evil. It's so popular nowadays to take villains and try and rationalize their beliefs. No, 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 not with Red Skull. He's just a straight-up fucking evil bastard. (laughs) I love where the little girl appears, and he's talking to his bodyguards, and then he's like, shoot her, you know, she's threatening me. He's like, but it's just a child. Then he puts his hand on the gun, he's like, yes, that just means you have to aim lower. I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah, I was like, wow. (laughs) Did you make his daughter's face normal again? Oh, that's not what you look like. Same thing she did with Steve, right? Mm Mm-hmm. In most arguments, it breaks down to somebody getting called a Nazi eventually, and in Red Skulls, it is one. So. They have scenes of him wearing that suit that's like Hitler dress-up suit. The Nazi yeah. uniform, but Hitler business suit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and those are so creepy. So well done. Yes, they are. So he has this conversation with Kobig. It's kind of funny because on one hand, it's like he's being so obviously manipulative, but I guess she's a child, so... It's creepy and really good, though. I thought the him curled up with her reading her bedtime stories was even creepier. I thought that was very creepy. Yeah. With the Hydra doll <laughs> and the Hydra bedsheet. Oh my god, that cracked me up I so much. I love that this kind of shows you that these tyrants are dangerous on their own but it's their ideas that can go in and start influencing people and infecting them and that's what makes them yes very much so the joke about the yellow and green jumpsuits you can see this has been building up for a long time because you have the whole thing with the red skull having xavier's brain back from uncanny x-men a couple years ago through pleasant hill through to this like this did not come out of left field this is drawing together threads that they've been weaving together for a long time and they all came together in a surprising and convincing story with badass art they really weaved everything together you know, uh, and explained everything that's been going on in a cohesive, entertaining fashion. So it's like whether you've been following this run the entire time or whether you're brand new to the run, you get to get all the information. You don't have to go tracking back 20 fucking comics to go to it, but you're still entertained, even if you know all this information. Yeah, I like that when they do the flashbacks, they are showing you things you've seen before, but it's from a different point of view. So it is kind of new information. So it doesn't feel tired. Some reacts are just like, here's some panels from previous issues and this is like, no, here's the shit you didn't understand that was going on. I thought this was fucking killer. I mean, we've all been kind of jumping on, in on this one, so why don't we just go to the vote? I have nothing to complain about with this one. It's an issue. Like I said, they, they're weaving together a bunch of different story plots that have been going on for a long time. Artwork is killer. This is a must-read. And even better, all the fucking dumb fucks that were talking shit about the Hail Hydra thing last issue get shut the fuck up right off the bat. Give this straight-up five red skulls. Hail Hydra, motherfucker. I can still see why people might be upset with what they did with Cap, but this makes sense and I think that it's justified because I really think he's trying to show you how fanatic, how that takes root in the minds of people and how they're led down this path. In the last issue, we had that terrorist guy where it showed you how he was disenfranchised and a drug addict and like all these things and Red Skull scooped in, corrupted him and then here you've got Kobik who's like a small child who's being manipulated you know, and all of these things, it's not just, you know, out of the blue like, let's go be evil on Tuesday. There are reasons 
why it's happening. I'm also going to give it five Hail Hydras. Uh, yeah, I mean, even with having suspected and, you know, along with the rest of us called out saying it's Kobic for this, this, and this reasons, even suspecting that this wasn't predictable, it was entertaining, it was engaging, it drew you in, it had some really dark, sinister moments, but not overtly so. And I think the bedtime story to me was even creepier after seeing the really creepy stuff of them <laughs> shooting themselves and so how evil he is. It's that juxtaposition that really made the story flow and like really ingrain itself into a really good storytelling. And out of that, I give it five bedtimes. Oh, shit. Another unanimous five-star book. Captain Marvel number six from Marvel Comics, written by Ruth Fletcher Gage and Christos Gage, art by Chris Anka, colors by Matt Wilson. So this is the book that is kind of showing you why Carol is so strongly believes the way that she does about what's got to happen, that she is the one who has to confront world-changing and threatening upper management. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. seriously. So it starts with her saying how she never wanted to be the boss, you know, so much paperwork and all that shit, but she really likes being in charge. It's something that kind of surprises her that she likes it so much. So this has another party, which Marvel throws the best party. (laughs) Ain't no party like a Marvel party. Alpha Flight is having an anniversary party for Captain Marvel for six months of not dying. This occurs obviously before mm-hmm. Civil War II takes place because Rhodey is there. Very He's well. there for a, uh, a conjugal <laughs> visit, I guess you might say, <laughs> with her. He's like, I've only got two hours. And they're like, well, do you really want to spend it at this party? And they're like, hell no. <laughs> Off to the bedroom where it goes sort of tastefully black. And then we see them lying in bed. And then she has to go to this meeting with all these muckety-mucks who are there to armchair quarterback what she's doing. Which I can also see how this is similar to probably how she feels that Iron Man is doing now. You know, she had to make the calls, the tough calls. And now there are all these people who weren't in the situation who are questioning it. And one thing I kind of liked about this scene was it kind of harkens back to the Alpha Flight, you know, original Alpha Flight a little bit, with like the Canadians being the cool ones and the Americans being the total assholes, which I thought was kind of cool. So it shows you questioning how this celestial creature from time could have appeared to them and they beat its ass with very little loss of life and property damage, which was completely unexpected, unpredictable. But an armada, like an alien space armada, appeared without them knowing what was going on and then the base station was nearly destroyed. And of course, the difference between the two is they had the warning from Ulysses, the celestial that appeared, and they were able to coordinate everything together. Carol doesn't say anything because she doesn't want to blow Ulysses' cover. And Black Panther is there being all mysterious, you know, not saying anything either. So he's kind of keeping the secret too. And that's when the other Captain Marvel kind of pulls her to the side and tells her about this evil Kree scientist who's coming down to do experiments on humans. And they have this long fight where they're like throwing trucks at each other and, you know, space punching each other. Which is a nice little, I liked that fight. I liked how they were using kind of the environments so you could just see how strong and powerful they are. You can see that this gas that she's unleashed on these people is causing like these horrible mutations and turning them into these monsters that die. Weird crap. So Carol looks at this entire town that's been murdered. And if they had had the warning from Ulysses, they could have prevented all these people from dying. And then at the end, there's this last panel where she's like, take a look around. Tell me waiting is good enough. Which it's hard to argue with someone who's looking at piles of dead 
dead bodies that could have been prevented and tell them that it's not right to use that warning. So I think this was a good way to show the other side of it, the consequences of not acting on information you have. So I really enjoyed this. I know we've all been kind of siding a little bit with Iron Man that using this information is dangerous and, you know, punishing people before they actually do anything can lead to problems and is kind of a little bit of like a, a fascist move in a way. But it, it's hard to argue with the soldier who has to see all the dead bodies that they should act. I enjoyed the perspective. I like that Civil War is not simple, that there's no one good side, that everyone has a a valid point of view. What did you guys think of it? I actually kind of felt this was boring. I really didn't like it. I liked the part with Rhodey. I thought that was interesting. Got irritated at all, like, her the upper management, like you mentioned. Like, I was like, oh, yeah, that sucks. I can see why she's like that. But the rest of it, I was like, bored. Over with. Where's the fucking? <laughs> you were bored of people throwing dump trucks at each other and <laughs> fighting? Yeah. I was just like, oh, weird, ugly crab men. Okay, um, wah. Sorry, Carol. Sorry, murdered town of the bull. <laughs> it's the Marvel Universe. There's not something being mutated or blown up. It's not a normal week. Oh, you're so Team Iron Man. <laughs> I, I am. I think that's part of kind of skews my view. But then again, some of the more political, like, wordy ones usually don't capture my interest very well. I don't, like I said, I don't think it's bad, but. I personally was bored. I'm like, can I get over with this? It's just me, I think. Totally Chris's opinion. Where's the titties at? People <laughs> <laughs> fade to black my ass. Come on. I love this. I mean, this was so badass to me. When she's fighting Minerva and she's like rips that ship open like a tin can. And then, you know, as they're fighting back and forth, knocking each other like three feet into the concrete. It was seeing these fight scenes that really made kind of go, holy shit, that would kill somebody like a normal human being so easily. The way the artist laid out this whole fight scene. I mean, there's so many fight scenes out there that suck, and this was definitely not one of them. I really am enjoying the story, and like you said, it's like they're not really making it. They're not just making it like, oh easy to take aside you know it's they really are digging into the uh in the more difficult regions of the argument i enjoyed the fuck out of it the art's great the layout on everything's great the story's great couldn't be more happy stellar <laughs> i'm gonna give this four ships ripped in half i will give it four cement mixers i gave it two and a half roadie booty calls <laughs> should be called sex machine not war machine <laughs> Uh, That name's already been taken. So, Carissa, you're taking us away from Marvel. Yes, for uh, May. It's gonna be May. Written by Gene Ha, art by Gene Ha, colors by Gene Ha, and Rose McLean. We're visiting back with the Paris sisters, and it starts to get a little bit more changeling, other dimensional furry world up in here. Abby and May, basically, they've been trying to reconnect, and other sisters pretty worried about her. I like, she starts off saying how she's hungover, and she kind of pulled up that reminds me of paper girls where look at the size of that tv the sisters are like that's not very big and then she talks about how there's like indoor plumbing things that have changed since her time away in the fairy world she has to borrow money she's setting it up to like so they can go see their dad which their dad with his mustache and his beard looks like some weird fairy guy he looks like he should be their grandfather not their father yeah they're in their 20s and he's like in his 60s you know he should be in his late 40s yeah but they do all have those weird gold eyes and i just i feel like there's something more to it they're descendants and they just they've been here like as refugees i don't know i just have this weird theory that there's probably something more going on and let me just say i still really love Ab- 
about Abby's outfit with her like pseudo military looking like long coat. She's hanging out getting her patty meal. They're just like trying to figure out what's going on. A lot of this is like getting adjusted to life and like talking. But my favorite is when the weird little furry guy like Unabomber look, the one who was stalking them the last issue, confronts the sister Abby and it's like where's the fugitive? There's no need for violence. We just have questions and the next panel where Abby just comes through with the golden axe and like foot stomp. I just loved how that panel that looked. It's like conversation, blah blah blah, like you know, being threatening. Then whoa, bam! Yeah, <laughs> it was like pro wrestling. Yeah. Like, hey, I told you to stay away from my sister. I love the creature designs on these fake creatures. Yeah. Yes. The one that right after that, there's another panel. It's the one with a really big mouth with like he has like a butcher knife. The sound effects, like the weird hiss sound effect. Creatures were really fun. I think you get a little more of what's going on. And but you know, they talk about like disemboweling and quartering people. They got more information, you know, and like they thought that she was a boy. That's another interesting thing. Like our scout said you were a boy. Yeah, that was Well, weird. I think they probably just don't understand humans very well. Very true. There are some really good scenes with motion. Like there was one where nightly looking guy with like the weird lantern stick oh the one with the fire he's the one that says don't defy the richer house of zemataris or something like that but the scene right before he says that abby goes flying and it has her like flying backwards towards the reader i thought that panel was really nicely drawn really good movement i like the panels where that guy with the lamp post that he's carrying around causes all the gas mains to explode on the police car and you get to yes. see just how much, yeah. like, chaos and damage they can inflict, you know? Yeah. They're very dangerous. Sister's trying to get away, and there's a fire, and they're freaking out. Pulls like an Aunt Baru, Uncle Owen type of scenario. It's absolutely the feel I got from that scene. You have the older sister saying that it wasn't their dad. He's taller. You know they are. I think this one was definitely a lot more interesting than the first one. I also like little nerd nods in the background where the little thing from Princess Mononoke on the window, the tree spirit on the windowsill, they talk about recording all all the Doctor Who episodes. They refer to things as like being like Warcraft. I found it a lot more interesting. You see where the sister goes through like this monolith to get to their, that world, but then their friend blocked to their friend, which I think that is why I had that idea that maybe it's a familial thing with their eyes being so distinctly weird how they're drawn compared to anyone else. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I really enjoyed seeing more of those fey creatures. I thought each one was really distinct. You had the little furry guy that you were talking about, and you had the guy with the big lamp post and the one with all the blade and the giant cat thing that reminds me of like my neighbor Totoro yeah who hasn't really said or done anything yet I love the cat design character design that's my favorite part of the book the art is still a little weird I appreciate the seeing things I haven't seen before so I'm adjusting to the art I like the art more this time than I did the last time I'm not sure if there's because there was more happening and there's more flow which just wasn't a bunch of the people talking still does look computer like it's done on the computer like digitally it grew on me I liked it a lot more this issue than I did the first one this reminds me like visually of like an anime version of either Beetlejuice or Coraline. Just in the, the inventiveness of the fey creatures, how unique and different they look. I fucking loved it. You guys need to start listening to Big Daddy Rory because I think last time we covered this, I think I was the only one. No, really motherfucker. Said. I'm the one who gave it the highest rating. I had reservations for it, but I still gave it, I think, four stars. But your whole thing was you like seeing things you've never seen before. I remember that. Line. Yeah, yes. and you know that's what I kind of like about this is you know especially this episode. This episode I thought was great with when the the Fey fight and he's just like blowing up gas and cars and shit. I really enjoyed that because whoever really thinks about stuff like that, like what's underneath, you know. Under 
underneath the ground or in the streets or anything like that whenever we have these big superhero fights. So it was cool that somebody had actually came up with something like that and thought of, hey, you know, if somebody's going to do something crazy, well, then it might cause some secondary damage. I do enjoy the artwork. I think it's unique. It is obviously, it's not like these are like hand paintings or anything like that. They're obviously using a digital medium, but I mean, they do it right. It looks good. The storyline's interesting. It's basically like Peter Pan on fucking crack or something to me like that's what i like about this is it's it's got a very peter pan-esque feel but it's just off the fucking rails along with it i'm enjoying if this it comic does take off i'd love to see some girl cosplayed as abby i really do like that hat that she has that little purple hat yeah yeah it's definitely like a cool that. costuming that's for sure i gave it a good three and a quarter will you record all the doctor who episodes for me i will give it three and a half leave my sister alone I enjoyed this one better better than the last one, pretty much. Uh, I'm going to give it four exploding cars. This shit was badass. All right, so we got Black Panther number three, Marvel Comics, written by Ta-Nehisi Coates, art by Brian Stelfreeze, colors by Laura Martin. So we are picking up where we left off with Black Panther. Now, we've gotten lucky this week with the soliloquies. <laughs> um, so they start off with the soliloquy from uh, this, this new villain. And I love this opening scene. For what they're depicting, it's got this dried up plains kind of look to it. But they make it look so nice. The coloring on it is spectacular. It looks like some sort of savannah yeah. shot done with a picture at dusk. You know, it's just really pretty. In enters the new villain with the soliloquy about making an illusion that he's some sort of, you know, when I was a tree, this happened, that happened. And uh, going through this whole thing, it shows like this uh, cool periods in uh, Wakandan history, you know, a bunch of different wars that happen. You got a little Doctor Doom hiding in the background he's there. He's like the spirit of the land, I think. Yeah, that's what I was getting out of it, too. I wasn't sure whether he was actually the spirit of the land or, you know, kind of like how Storm has her superpowers and stuff right. like that. Is he actually the spirit of the land or does he draw his power from the land? I don't know. Beautiful thing about it is they make it very ambiguous and he's like doing this cool little uh, kata that I thought was really awesome. And just, I don't know, this whole this whole setup on this just really made me go, yeah. As he's going through his whole soliloquy and he's doing all this stuff, it's such a mysterious character. And I think it's really cool with, like, the juxtaposition that they did between most of Wakanda, which is, like, real high tech, and then him who's, like, kind of, like, going back to Mother Nature and stuff like that. I thought that was a really cool way to go in, get me hooked right off the bat. That in and of itself had me on this comic. After that, it goes into uh, T'Challa is sitting there having a conversation with his mother about how he's seeing his sister. And, of course, the typical conversation about his issues being king because he's trying to figure out exactly how he wants stuff. And, of course, everybody's telling him, you know, your father and this and that. I don't know. That part got boring. Even though I know it's a recurring theme with him. Retreading. Yeah, they're overusing it, I think. It's like, okay, we get it. He's you know, the hereditary king and all that stuff. You know, he's got big shoes to fill. But it does put out a little bit of interesting information, you know, where she's saying he's not blind. He has a clarity referring to him figuring out what he wants to do with ruling and his people and all this stuff. They're having this basically a civil war on their hands. Well, they say it's not that he doesn't see that he's blind to what's going on. He just he sees too much. Like he's almost like overthinking it. Too many angles to consider. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So you have the scene, the Midnight Angels show back up at uh, one of their bases, and it looks like everybody's been slaughtered. So they're, like, concerned about that they can't keep safe. They're trying to, they're basically, like, trying to do all this stuff on their own, 
and there's only two of them, they're talking about how they can punish the guilty, but can they protect the innocent? And that's the hard part they're having is that their enemies are just basically hitting their camps while they're gone. So it's it's creating a fucking problem. The scene that happened next to was the interesting one was when they go into the plane of ancient memory. Oh, they yeah. enter the plane of ancient memory, which has like, that's my favorite part actually was that one like a universal subconscious memory of the Wakandan people. She starts talking about how before Vibramian was around, before we had all like the technologies and stuff, there were like secrets that we knew. And once again, she's like talking about how it's like we had power before. It's just not in the same thing. And once again, I feel like they're going back to to draw the nature versus technology. I I also like how they brought in the drum and that in American history with slavery, the drum is extremely important to be able to pass like messages along. So I thought that was kind of a cool. It's also pretty much like man's first instrument. Also, it's like one of the most ancient instruments that we've used. When you talk about getting down to like a more primal early. Man. It's the heartbeat. Exactly. And since she's sitting there and she's talking about getting back, everybody getting back to their roots, back to the ancient days, I mean, it was the mm-hmm. perfect picture to use. After that, they have Inner Black Panther, and he has his kung fu fight with all these betrayers. They do a lot of cool stuff with Black Panther's suit. Our new villain comes out. That I thought that was so cool, the way yeah. he poured what looks like basically ash on his face and then wipes off his eyes and then wipes off his lips to like form a skull mask. Oh, that was so badass. He uses his powers over plants to tie them all up and then make his escape. My favorite part right there is that fight scene was awesome. This scene afterwards was really cool. The white gorilla army is, they're chasing one of the Midnight Angels. They're basically like leading head of the white gorilla army into a trap. And that's where it all leaves off. There's a lot of cool scenery and imagery in this one. I've been really, I've been enjoying the whole run of Black Panther, and I'd never really like followed too much before. I'm loving it so far. I mean, I think it's got a good story. It's a little bit confusing at times. It's overall been a great story, interesting characters. I think the artwork is amazing. There's a scene in there where it has the panel of looking up into the trees and the leaf is falling and then holding the leaf in her hand. Look at her feet in that panel. Those feet are impeccably drawn. Feet are not easy to draw. I literally was staring at that panel of her her bare feet i'm like wow that's really well drawn but there's a lot going on in this book it jumps around like crazy so it can be a little mutt it definitely had to go back and read some things and even then i don't feel like it really all sunk in the fine line work and the artwork is just they really have a lot of technical drawing skills down like the people like the muscles and just all the like the bones and lines really really pretty to look at that page where he pours the gourd on and wipes it off like i really like how all that looks really interesting it's not usually my type of pick i sometimes get overwhelmed by all the different stories and the jumping around and a lot of information coming at you they do it well it's really nice to me this felt like poetry rather than prose both visually and storytelling wise like especially the the prologue and the end part it's beautiful the coloring lends to both that sense of desolation in the beginning on the savannah and then like the lushness in the jungle when it rains at the end to like restore the people in Wakanda. It's just, it's really a beautiful book. My only objection to this book has been that there are too many storylines. I still feel like that one part with Black Panther talking again about the burdens of leadership, that probably could have went, but I felt like this one slowed down a little bit. Like we got to spend a little more time with each scene, probably only maybe an extra page on each scene, but it makes all the difference to give you that kind of that breathing space to, to absorb what's going on. It's like a waking dream, a lot of this. There there are parts that to me feel more metaphorical about what's going on than literal and then there are parts that are very literal so it kind of mixes that waking and dreaming elements 
I yeah. like the bringing in this like Spirit of the Land character. I think that's an interesting addition. I like things I haven't seen before. I've never seen a gorilla mech running through the forest and knocking down trees while it's chasing someone. That was really cool. That scene that we've all talked about where he's pouring the dust from the planes onto his face. If you look at African funeral rites and things, like we in like Western culture use black as our like funeral gear and they use white like for bone. So I thought that was kind of interesting that his death mask is a white mask. It's getting better. I think he's learning how to pace things a little better. I love this comic. I agree that there's a little bit too much going on. I'm even getting confused trying to do a recap on it. So there's a little bit too much going on. I wish to simplify it just a little bit. Visually, this comic is amazing. The storyline is great. It's just there's a lot going on. I'm going to give it four death masks. It could easily be a four and a half or a five if they just tune it in just a little tiny bit. Comic book is really good. If you're not reading it, I you give it three calamity surrounds us. I will give it four white gorilla armies. So I'm still staying in the Marvel Universe. Very tonally different here, but uh, equally enjoyable to me. It's the Unbeatable Squirrel Girl number nine from Marvel Comics, written by Ryan North, pencils by Erica Henderson, inks by Tom Fowler, colors by Rico Renzi. I really enjoy The Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, and I never thought I would. The tone of this book is just, is great. I love or all the little notations down at the bottom of the page and just the kind of easy sense of fun that it has. It's a fun book to read. It doesn't take itself too seriously, but it still kind of addresses some serious topics in an interesting way. So this is, Doreen is on her horrible date with the truther superhero guy. I don't know if you guys read number eight or not, but she's been trying to date and this is, she thought this guy was a superhero because of his screen name, Hawk Jock. So she thought he had like the powers of a hawk and a jock combined together, but he doesn't. The whole time, all this superhero stuff keeps happening in front of him and he's, he doesn't believe it. The truth is out there and it's all a government conspiracy. A mole man shows up and is really mad at her because she he has convinced Craven to go and start hunting superheroes. He started out in the oceans and now he's like down in the bowels of the, the mole kingdom hunting things. So he's really pissed off. I really like that Squirrel Girl is really good at talking to supervillains and mm. making yeah. them her friends. I mean, it kind of backfires a little bit here, but I like that, that she actually talks to them and can really empathize with them. I love the trading card too. The Deadpool supervillain trading cards. They're just awesome. I love the panel that looks like all the old Victorian, you know, fix the cuff is looking uh that was really good and i love that when mole yeah. man talks he's like super old timey because he's really old <laughs> basically he explains that he's you know the surface world treats him like garbage and literally dumps garbage into his kingdom and buries radioactive waste there and she's like you know what you're right if i was you i'd be mad too so she's kind of sympathizing with him you know she's like well we can get thor to like throw all this stuff into the sun you know we can work all this out so i appreciated uh that she actually talks to them and can see their point of view sometimes so the part where i knew that things weren't going to work out super well for him is when he's talking to her and he calls her lady. i was like oh god <laughs> Mole Man is a nice guy. <laughs> he really likes her and wants her to be like his mole queen. And she tries to let him down easily and explain to him that it would never work because she is a squirrel girl and there are no squirrels underground. So then he goes and lowers Central Park into his kingdom so that there are now squirrels underground and she has to battle him. I just, I really liked Mole Man in here. I've never been a huge fan of him. He seems like a very like outdated villain, which I appreciate that they played with all of his archaic way of speaking. And it's just, it's very funny. 
And I think it kind of also shows how these like, creepy guys who think they're entitled to attention can be. So, I mean, that's not an experience like I obviously have, <laughs> but I really felt that that kind of drove that point home without being too over the top with it. I enjoyed it. It was funny. The art was enjoyable. The writing is spectacular and hilarious. I dug it. I mean, it's good. It's funny. There were definitely some chuckle parts in there. I think just for my sense of humor, though, it was good. But ah, just glad when I got <laughs> to the end of this one. I was kind of getting tired of it by the time I got there. I don't really want to talk bad about it because I don't think that it was a bad issue. It was funny. I just think it, the humor that they were using just doesn't quite align with my sense of humor. It was entertaining, though. They did some funny shit. The Twitter That's my feed. Favorite. Oh my God. <laughs> so it's all great, but my favorite part is her response to Tony. Like, oh, God. I'd never date Brad, Tony. Never do it. He's like, I wasn't planning to. Died laughing. I don't know why. But that whole thread, that whole picture. Like, I don't know. Lately, Marvel, I've been loving the opening panel, the title pages lately. They're just so funny. Yeah, they're using that real estate really well. Little thing, but it just adds so much. Just like, you know, the whole unshaven Craven and <laughs> Parkman Tony one. I really like Squirrel Girl. I think it's really cute. The issue, I, and besides the Victorian panel, I still, I hate the artwork. Really? I understand it's something different. I really really don't like how she's drawn i just think it looks there's parts i like like some of the creatures i think look good but her face just pisses me off i don't like how she's drawn i like that she's not your typical looking superhero that she's not super thin and busty and that she looks like a more like normal looking person but that's fine it's the style it's not how she's drawn it's the style i've seen her drawn in other ways in the howard the duck when she appeared she was fine and they had her drawn in on one of the patsy the hellcat ones and it was fine it's just something about this particular artwork I just don't like. It worked for Mole Man and some of the creatures look fine, but like the people, I can't stand the people. <laughs> I love the Victorian page with like the whale with the boxing gloves. That page was amazing. Like I would have read a whole comic like that. And I love all the annotations and notes. Like the thing is like I always love the story, but this current artwork that's on Squirrel Girl, sorry, pencils by Erica Henderson and ink by Tom Fowler. <laughs> I'm not loving it. I don't, I don't know. I just, I just really like it. And then I probably made me like unlike it more because this week there was that thing going around on social media where Anna Kendrick says she wants to play Squirrel Girl and I think that's amazing and so I'm like I just want to see Anna Kendrick in here what, where's that but other than that I really like this issue I thought it was really funny and really cute I just don't like how they draw actually in profile I do there's one where she has she's shaking hands with Mole Man big orange guy's faces behind them her eyes are right. closed and she's shaking his hand like that one she looks fine I kept waiting for Mole Man to put on his fedora that's really the impression that I got from him in this <laughs> I think I will give it uh, four mole mams. I gave it four don't date Brad. I'm going to give it two miladies. I am keeping us in the Marvel Universe. With Our Lord number nine by Marvel Comics, written by Sam Humphreys, art by Javier Garon and Will Robson, and colors by Antonio Fabella. This picks up. They're still trapped by the collector. And he is trying to get information out of Kitty, where they last left off. He's trying to get more out of her. And she's like, no, no, no. I Because he tries to start her off with, tell me about your childhood. And she's like, uh, no. <laughs> I will tell you why we broke up. That's what you asked for. And then you'll give me what you said you agreed to. How Peter 
when he got elected as king of sparta she was like talking to him and he was just basically ignoring her and she said okay well don't forget this one thing coming up and he's like yeah 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 and then she disappeared she felt neglected by him there was like a couple different scenes of him just like uh uh-huh yeah 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 and then her the guardians were living in the ship on the milano on the planet he never came down to see them nothing like that he forgot her birthday which was like the big thing and basically she shows up and this is when she becomes star lord and she throws his stuff at him she's like because you're not living here anyways here's your stuff (laughs) dumps all his cds on the lawn yeah (laughs) you know as people do you start one-upping you think just blurted out of your mouth in the middle of a fight and quill mad with power and being in charge and king is like take her out with the trash i don't even know her Oh my god. There's some henchmen or whatever on the side going, Is that new Star Lord? Can she do that? She just took his coat. <laughs> like they're like him getting all flustered because he, you know, he wanted her help with speech and they're like, No jokes. He's like, I know some great joke. You know, being Quill. I still want to <laughs> use that line one of these days on somebody. Her, in a vindictive move, steals his speech and leaves a sign saying, <laughs> I took it out with the garbage with me or something like that. <laughs> I love that. And she's like, I'm not proud of it, but I did it. This is what I did. I left it where he could get retribution. With no speech, he ended up doing what they didn't want him to do, which was tell jokes and come across as an imbecile and uh, lose the faith of the people of Sparta in him, which is not hard for him to do, Quill. The collector, it's like, excuse me a moment and he puts a tear like in a vial this is my most saddest tear ever and you feel like you know he's really into the story and then she cold cocks him with a celestial bean tooth and you see like little star lords and kitties dancing like the stars and then he's like hurry to quill i know exactly where she's going and he like runs and runs and he gets there and quills there he's like did he come to go break him out my favorite line like roy yours is the trash one my favorite line was well where'd she go hall of forgotten subplots <laughs> 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 I like the guns and pouch exhibit. My action figures, but yeah, the forgotten <laughs> subplots. I thought that's hilarious. That's someone who reads comics. I was like, oh, oh my god. god. Then there's like a, a sound, and he's like, oh no, the menagerie. And she comes in with like like an army of creatures. Like Dupe and that not Silver Surfer, the one we saw from Howard the Duck that's like the bronze surfer. Hey, it's the one from Howard. They break Quill free. He's like, no, you know, kind of thing. And so he's trying to gather them up, and they're like, brains, it's what's for dinner. And the fight scene with him, all the menagerie, <laughs> them trying to get away, and like, still, there's still tension, not hunky dory. And there's lots of great lines, like he references lost in space i just really realistic type of couple fighting i think yeah I totally very legit i guess is a good word and then they're gonna make up and then i love it that the thing like knocks them out they get hit and they go flying and then what is with beefy groot there at the end he looks super like weightlifting he's been i do like that they're still continuing their contest though (laughs) do you even lift yeah do you even groot the only thing I really had issue with, I don't like how Peter and Kitty are drawn in this at all. I like the way Kitty looks. I don't like the way they Peter look looks. Like they look really dumb. I don't know. Like, their eyes are small for their head and some. Their eyes They're too, are close, too close. Really, really bugs me. Like, really bothers. I like the story. I want to hear what's going on. Oh, but it just drove me crazy. Like, Rocket's fine. Even Beefcake Root looks okay, I guess. And the Collector looks really creepy. Sleazy, actually. Yeah, he looks hella sleazy. <laughs> looks like Space Hugh Hefner. 
I was talking about how Squirrel Girl wasn't really my kind of humor. Star-Lord is the exact opposite. They've got my goofy-ass sense of humor nailed. I was laughing my ass off this entire episode. (laughs) When you guys were talking to me about where Christina was at, and you guys are like telling me, oh, I kind of felt like when we looked at the scene where the guy's talking to the ship, and he's like, oh, theaters, you know, it's like they're talking about fancy shit. That scene right there completely takes what you guys are talking about. (laughs) That's how you feel about Hamilton? I'm on move, fancy. Mm, yeah, I don't give a shit. <laughs> I love this episode. There's all kinds of funny shit that happens. Um, they always draw in like little jokes everywhere. It's one of those books where it's like you can go back and you can look for lots of stuff, and you're gonna find more shit hiding every time you look through it. Something I definitely enjoy about this one. I am with you, Carissa, on the art. The art is a little bit wonky. Well, I enjoy most of it, Kitty Beautiful. and. Peter. Their eyes are too close together. They're cross-eyed, which is weird. I don't know, just their general proportions aren't correct. They look like halflings to me for half of the weird childlike drawings. <laughs> so that that part I wasn't really digging on so much. It was kind of distracting, but at the same time, it's such a goofy-ass, hilarious comic book that I, I was able to overlook it. Otherwise, I enjoyed a lot of the art. There's a lot of cool stuff going on. I like it when Groot goes and works <laughs> out, man. <laughs> I thought he looked good with little muscle on him. It was a him. funny book that had some, I think, really truthful moments in it that I just didn't care about. Like, I was amused the whole time, and there are parts where Kitty is talking about how they fight that I thought were very told the truth about when couples fight. But overall, I just do not care about this story, I think is where I come down on it. Nothing wrong with it, just not my cup of tea. I gave it four halls of forgotten subplots. (laughs) I will give it three brains. They're what's for dinner. One. I'm going to give it four beefcake groups. Away from Marvel into Appalachia. Yep. <laughs> I've got Hillbilly number one, Albatross Funny Books, written by Eric, art by Eric Powell. I have an Eric Powell print on my wall that I'm looking at right now that I bought with Carissa when we were at Comic-Con for the first time. Ryan's got it on a ceiling <laughs> rather than his wall. <laughs> hey, don't judge. <laughs> this is one of those ones where I took a chance with it. A lot of the times what I do is I'll, I'll go through and I'll just kind of, when I can't figure out a pick, when there's not something that's obvious, kind of like gone through a couple of picks this week, couldn't get my hands on. I just kind of took a chance on this one. When I read the description, it sounded like it would either be a real steaming piece of shit or it'd be real good. I'm pleasantly surprised that I really enjoyed this one. It starts off with there's this little girl in town and she's sitting there and her mom's asking her, where's your brother? And it's kind of funny because they like, they really have southern accents are, mm-hmm. there's a lot of different types of them out there. So it's really, can be something that a lot of people fuck up and I really appreciate how much they get the mountain folk accent going here. <laughs> Sounds just like my grandparents when I listen to it. I was about to say that it doesn't sound quite like mine because mine were in a little bit different of an area, but it's close. It's damn close. The the broken English is great. Mom's asking her, where where's your brother at? And she's like, he went fishing because there weren't nothing in the pond. <laughs> Flashes forward to the he's out and he's going, he's going fishing and then he kind of like smells something. He looks over and he finds a strawberry patch and so he goes like digging through you know, picking some strawberries and eating them and all of a sudden this hand starts coming out of a shadow and it's like, who's picking Gilda's strawberry patch? This like witch looking thing you know, puts the kid to sleep 
And then just as the multi-jointed arm is reaching out to get the little kid, this giant, like, cleaver-looking thing hacks her hand off. Enter our main hero. The funny thing is he's like, I'm sure two things. Uh, today's Tuesday part. and a witch is going to die. And she goes, but today's Wednesday. He's like, I'm sure <laughs> one thing. Reminds me of, yeah, I'm here to chew bubblegum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubblegum. Things that it made me laugh, especially when she's like, but today's Wednesday. He's like, I'm sure there's one thing. <laughs> so he like hacks the witch in half, wakes up the little kid, and he starts talking to him and kid if he knows any stories. So the kid tells this story. He basically asks the kid to tell him a story. So he tells this little short story. The kid asks him if he knows anything about, if he knows any stories. So he tells his story is, starts talking about how this lady, she all of a sudden was, was pregnant and they weren't sure whether it was because of incest or because she was, you know, messing around or anything like that. Keep in mind, this is like set way, you know, I assume significantly backwards in time. So this feels very Depression era. Yeah. Very much so by like their dress and all that stuff. Townspeople, they're not sure if, you know, how this lady got pregnant, whether it was from some incest or some drifter or preacher or what. Either way, you know, the, the sin falls on her. Then her child's born and is born without any eyes. And so the town folks think that she's cursed because she's a sinner. They force her to live outside of town. Kid basically grows up out there. And it's like, it's they basically indicate that it's dangerous. That there's like flying snakes and wolves and, you know, all kinds of other stuff that might get at him. He then tells about, there's like this tomboy that's inside town named Esther. She doesn't really like fit in with anybody because she's a tomboy. So she's sneaking off with a bow. Basically a huge fucking crossbow. Giant fucking ballista, basically, yeah. Her dad or grandpa with his sword and the hound with the huge saber teeth was bizarre. It's interesting how they're mixing basically like mountain country folk and yeah like this almost like fantasy like conan kind of imagery going on <laughs> with it so she sneaks out of town because she's you know going to you know hang out with our protagonist here rondell that's right his name's rondell going out go hunting and so there's this big giant boar that they're going after and it's hilarious because they're shooting this crossbow that's like the size of them and she's like hold still you know I, I gotta get the shot just right or he's gonna kill us and then two boys that were from inside town that don't like the girl because she's a tomboy decide to uh, shoot him with a, uh, a slingshot so they miss and the boar chases him off a cliff well he chases the boy off the cliff the girl stops short but the boy since he's blind just goes running and falls off the cliff then when the boy wakes up he finds this crow and the crow's sitting there you know speaking telling him to set me free it's it's in this trap so he sets her free and it turns out that it's a witch that was trapped by another witch and couldn't be set free so she decides that she's going to give him a gift and since in this uh, thing witches are in league with the devil of course one of the gifts that she gives him is this cleaver that was taken from right. uh, Satan's kitchen. And so be because Satan's so evil that any anything he touches is given power, well then his meat cleaver is basically a, this powerful weapon that she gives. Mm -hmm. Well, they, they explain that like, witches yes. can only be killed by more powerful witches, and since Satan is the most powerful yes. of them all, that this yeah. can kill any witch. Giving him this big badass weapon. I like when she uh, demonstrates herself. For example, this is the devil's ladle. Yeah. It's a dude in the head and he goes to dust. <laughs> Reminds me of, like, the cosmic toothpick thing from uh, Star-Lord. Yeah, of, totally. It's just you know? a weird goof. She gives him that. She decides that she's going to give him another gift. And, of course, everything, you know, they explain in this, all these gifts, it's like they have a price, you know, because, of course, you know, it's basically consorting with evil and whatnot. But she decides that she's going to give him sight 
So she cuts slits in his eyes, and he's got, like, black eyes inside of his head that weep black oozy shit. So when she does that, she's already, she's, like, taking him home to his house, and his house is, like, burned down. So then she... She knows that it's from, it was like a rival witch that saw what, what he had done by helping out her. So she also just blames the rest of it and says that his mother died by this rival witch also. She's basically manipulating the kid into killing off her rival. And so he goes heartbroken, of course, and he decides that he's going, he's like, I'm going to hunt down Eldor and make her pay for what she done, but I ain't going to stop there. And so he turns around and he kills the witch that gave him all this power. And then he is talking with, you know, talking with the kid and the kid's asking about how how much of it was true and he shows him his eyes but he also says because you know people say that he fed people to bears and he's like oh they're just stories and earlier on he had talked about about uh how he talked to lucille and <laughs> turns out lucille's his giant talking pet bear this one i love this i mean i'm really a big fan of like storytelling and folk tales and stuff like that so this was like almost straight out of Grimm's fairy tales, in my opinion. Like the good stuff, not the not the stuff you see on those shitty movies. The moonshine version of Grimm's fairy tales. I really love this. I thought that the artwork was it was simple but awesome at the same time. It was just right as far as its execution. It really just reminded me of the kind of folk tale that you're going to hear the shit that I used to hear from my grandpa as a kid, you know, it's like, this is what, what this reminds me of. So I loved it. Like I said, it was, it was one of those ones where it's like, I just took a chance and decided to go for a title. And so far I've been per- done pretty well with those ones. Uh, so yeah, I, I love the shit out of this. what do you guys think? Oh, I love the goon. Well, did you read the goon before? So this is Eric Powell who did the goon. That's why I was very excited to read it because I am a big goon fan. I was really excited for this too. I didn't even know this was coming out until you picked well, it. Well, I follow Eric Powell like on Instagram and he's been showing catches, like hints and stuff like that. So I knew it was coming out. I didn't know when. So you picked it. I'm like, oh, thank God. I didn't want to miss it because I really like his storytelling. It has both dark <laughs> and humor. Not in a dark comedy kind of way. It just has a lot of... Something about his storytelling, I've always really appreciated it. It never seems to come across as I would have thought it would have come across. And then he's one of those people where I've complained about it in the past, where I feel like some creators take on more than they can chew. Like their artwork doesn't match their storytelling or their storytelling and do the artwork at the same time. It just doesn't go together. His stuff goes together so well. Can draw and tell a story really well. He's a master of his craft. He's a master cartoonist. And the use of color, kind of like what we've mentioned before, like even with, we mentioned it with Doctor Strange, the certain little pops of color speak loads into the storytelling with his artwork. And I love that. And like, even this with all the sepia tones and the sketches, it seems like it almost mimics that if someone is telling a verbal story, right? Like the pictures you would think in this that dirtier you like you said dust bowl era kind of depression thing with the sepia so the fact that it's a little bit rougher and not as clean and kind of that water colory background it's just so beautifully fits with the era the idea that this is being like more like a verbal story that someone's sitting down telling you and yes lucille's my favorite the page i love like if you like the goon this is very similar this reminds me i mean i know it's not but this feels like it could be in the same universe as harrow county exactly i thought the same thing too felt exactly like a story that you know your grandmother or grandfather would have you like when you're a little kid like sit down in front of their rocking chair while you're like shelling some peas or something and they're going to tell you a story you know about witches and the devil and all that kind of stuff and it, it's it's mm. great i loved it the art is creepy as hell it's really inventive 
the language is right. I love this. I totally agree. I feel like it could be in the same universe, even same time period as the goon, just in totally different parts of the world. I'm going to give it four and a half devil's ladles. So I fucking loved it. I gave it four and a half, but you left all the interesting parts out. I will give it four and a half strawberry patches. So we're going to kind of go into two books that are listener suggestions that we took. First one is Mockingbird number four from Marvel Comics, written by Chelsea Kane, pencils by Kate Nine Keisel, inks by Sean Parsons, colors by Rachel Rosenberg. I've been reading all of Mockingbird. I mean, we haven't actually reviewed it yet, but it is great. It's funny. It's inventive. I love all the parts with like the shield bureaucracy that she has to deal with. So this is her, she's talking about like extinction level events that happen that, you know, like the only reason humans are around is because there was a meteor. And if that hadn't happened, you know, our evolutionary line would have ended at like tree squirrel would have been the end of us. So she's talking (laughs) about this like antelope die off that it's happened in uh, Central Asia before and now it's happening again and that there's it's not aim it's an it's a total idea mechanic so it's Tim instead of aim that's trying to research this and weaponize it and there's this like underground sea lab that they're doing their research in so she kind of like scuba dives down into there and is investigating it and there's these like funny parts where she's using this because she's a like world famous scientist herself. So she's got this neurotoxin where the first warning sign is like you can't fill your tongue. So she's talking to all the the people who are getting ready to dissect Clint Hawkeye, her ex husband. Like I don't know if you guys read West Coast Avengers way back in the day or know that much about Mockingbird, but she has basically been injected. This is a recent change to her character, but she she's an old character who has kind of these psychic abilities that were mentioned in like her first appearance like in the 60s and never mentioned again now that she's getting like visions that shield is interested in um, she's been given the super soldier serum that captain america has and also i think they call it the lazarus effect so basically she can't age as well so she's got all this going on so shield is researching her and investigating her clint uh they're getting ready to dissect him and she's in one of those like aim like evil scientist outfits kind of looks like the evil beekeeper outfit see on the thing they have him on the table the one in the background is holding like a photograph of the like a photograph of an old like like dutch masters of like a dissection yeah so that's where like the aim no sorry the tim scientists are like i can't feel my tongue and she's like yeah you're gonna pass out so they all like collapse Mm -hmm. down and you get kind of these flashbacks of where they're having this argument and it will cut back to previous scenes they've had in like couples therapy where he's talking about how you know if there was a neurotoxin in the air why are they not affected and she's like well you know i've i've dosed myself with small bits of it throughout the years to develop an immunity he's like well what about me (laughs) she's like well i might have dosed you while we were married <laughs> so there's like a scene where they're in like couples therapy. You know, she's talking about how he's such like a control freak and has all these secrets. And there's this line where he's like, "My tongue feels funny," you know, because obviously she's like dosed him before. And he's talking about how like she keeps all these secrets. And you know, she's like, "Why do you have to, you know, wife and know everything?" He's like, "I just asked you how many times you've been married before, not deep secrets," you know. Mm. So they have this kind of interesting back and forth where they they fight some agents. There's this kind of cool scene where she wants to trigger any mutations she has so she has to put herself in this stressful situation where she goes into this room and basically drowns herself waiting for any mutations that are going to happen which i thought was really interesting and then at the end (laughs) 
there's a part where she wants to get the toxic, like the the blood from these like antelopes that they've been analyzing. You know, Clint and his speedo is like, well, I managed to smuggle it out. She's like, really? How'd you do that? And he's like, you don't want to know where I have it. That that reminded me kind of a, a little bit of Pulp Fiction with yeah. like the watch. <laughs> she wants she goes to get the vial and she kisses him and there's this line where he's like my tongue feels funny again where like she's again dosed him with the stuff and then there's a, a scene where she's kind of like no <laughs> like kneeling before him has like her hand on his uh stomach and he's like that's not a vial i liked it i thought the uh <laughs> the story was interesting the art is good it's funny it's clever they managed to tell like a pretty good story but also have like flashbacks that are relevant i liked is it just me or did this seem like very uh archer-esque <laughs> Referred to us was a boy, our friend, who said that it had a lot of C-Lab references, which Archer definitely, I think, came about because of the popularity. Of- yes, if you like Archer, yeah, this this has a very similar feel to it. This could easily fit in that, that world. So I ended up giving it four extinction-level events. I'll give it four, you're no science terrorists. I'll give it four, that's no vile. This one... Uh, just to give a little background before you launch into it, uh, Rory. During the the last episode, there was a question about Action Comics, about who the figure in the uh, the monitor watching the monitors was, and I said that whoever sent me, you know, the credible theory for it first would be able to pick a book for us to review. So we had a, a winner, one of our listeners, Malcontent, who's won previous contest rooms before, uh, gave me a, an answer to that question, which uh, was so I felt like blindingly obvious to me that I hadn't picked up. Basically, his theory, and I think it's probably true, is that that is uh, Ozymandias watching that, which makes sense because we've got, you know, Rorschach showing up in, I, th- I think, in Detective Comics. You've got uh, Dr. Manhattan showing up in Rebirth, you know, that, that kind of stuff. So I, I think that's probably true that that is Ozymandias in Action Comics. So for getting the, the first one, we... <laughs> Extraordinary X-Men, yeah. Go for it, Ro. This is Extraordinary X-Men number 11, Marvel, obviously. Uh, writer is Jeff Lemire. Penciler is Umberto Ramos. Inker is Victor o- Olazaba. I always say that one wrong. And color artist Edgar Delgado. So we start off, everybody's been trying to to go into the future and retrieve these uh, last pieces of mutant DNA, essentially, to try and stop Apocalypse from his evil take-over-the-world survival of the fittest thing that he's got going on. So now the uh, the X-Men have ran into uh, the, the Horsemen of the Apocalypse. And so the main one at first is you've got uh, Wolverine, who's t- been taken over by the Venom symbiote, which is really creepy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It's like, that is a hell of a dynamic duo right there. You take Wolverine and the freaking freaking Venom. It's like, ugh. Yeah, it's old man Logan. So Jean Grey tries to enter his mind and tries to uh, get him to fight the symbiote as he's sitting there in uh, psychic land. But uh, obviously he can't beat, take over Venom, so they end up fighting. I really liked the way they did this fight scene. It was another really cool just overall, like the stuff that was going on in in this fights throughout the comic was really neat. At one point or another, uh, Nightcrawler grabs a Storm and pops off into one of the pyramids. Or the, the scene where Iceman is fighting with Deadpool, and he's sitting there, and it's like the entire time he's going. And I don't know if they showed this previously, but I didn't catch it if they did. But he has his mouth sewn shut. <laughs> he's like, "Oh, I see. Somebody finally figured out how to shut you up." Then he like, which well, that's a nod to the Fox movie. Exactly. It was. I love the the nod to the movie and just the 
that going in that direction was hilarious. So creepy when he cuts open yeah. the, the stitching on his mouth and like vomits all those like, flies on him. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially with the whole four horses, horsemen of the apocalypse yeah, thing. I mean, like it worked out perfect. Think, yeah. You know, exactly. Cool scene where Colossus is uh, brawling with. Uh, it's Martha and mutants. I don't care about. Yeah, I know. Unfortunately, uh, you got Slime Boner who's getting messed up by Colossus. Still haven't figured out whatever sort of. He's just like generic, like you know, strong and tough. You know, Bob Herman. Yeah, I know who he is. Yeah. Colossus is brawling with them, and then yeah, Martha gives him the overhand right and sends him flying, which uh, that was that was kind of cool because nobody's actually seen her really kick some ass. Later on down the road, now this character, I'm not familiar with this particular character that's in X-Haven. They show this girl, and she's basically leaving a she's leaving a, a goodbye note and talking about how, you know, she's leaving because she just doesn't feel right. And she's saying how when her mother and father left her, it's because they thought she was evil. And she's like, you know, even though I was telling the truth, it's like, actually, I'm evil. <laughs> I'm like, okay, who is this? And then they show this badass picture of her. Is that Rogue that she's stabbing? That's not Rogue. That's magic that she's, or magic. It's Colossus's sister, yeah. That was an interesting scene that they kind of left dangling for us. Nightcrawler and Storm go bamfing around through the different levels of of the uh, pyramid, almost getting killed by a bunch of traps. Uh, they run into Moon Knight, and you know, I was kind of, especially because we've been reading Moon Knight, I was kind of disappointed with this. Is I was kind of expecting like a cool fight scene, but then uh, yeah, Nightcrawler just grabs him and bamps him over a pit of spikes and drops him to his doom. I'm like, oh, that was lame. I do like the part about Khonshu liking his broken mind. He's just as crazy as yes. Uh, Moon Knight, yeah. Yeah, that was definitely a good one. Planning on a little bit more fight than that. And then uh, they finally get to the top level, and there's Apocalypse, and he's all wired up to a bunch of stuff. And he reveals that he's, like, given his power to basically make himself part of the world. So now it's the world's his body, and he's its heart. They're trying to get the Ark, and Apocalypse stands up and decides he's, he's going to whoop some ass. Nightcrawler bamps off to go get the Ark, and then uh, he's talking about how he's telling Storm how basically there's nothing she could do because he's the heart of the planet. If she kills him, everybody else on the planet dies because it falls apart. And then uh, Nightcrawler pops back up and uh, stabs him in the back, not realizing because he missed that whole conversation. So sometimes teleporting doesn't pay off. But that totally seems like a D&D adventure group role-playing thing party where someone who has that power would just bounce in and just do that thinking that they're helping and not realizing... Like, no! I thought that the fight scene between Storm and Apocalypse was awesome. Overall, there's a lot of good stuff in this one. Um, the artwork, a lot. It's kind of, like, action-packed on this one. There's not really a whole lot of super storyline going on. It was an enjoyable one. One of the characters I do know and I do care about, I felt very interested in what they were doing. And that part was very interesting. And the ones I didn't, was just, they were okay, but, you, yeah, you don't really know much about them to under to have any insight to them but i would feel myself going back to some panels and like really looking at like like you're saying how wolverine under venom uh, symbiote is really interesting drawn like totally creepy and i was going back checking it out because you know the character you know yeah and how it affects them that this seems more interesting right person who's drawing gene and she's all like gets that innocent eye fight like i thought that was all taking really well. And Down the middle, and I'm going to give it three slime boners. <laughs> I gave it three bamf. So those were the books we read this week. To check out our weekly pull list and other nerd shenanigans, 
go check out fourcolornerds.com or our Facebook page, Four Color Nerds. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. You can find the podcast on iTunes and Google Play Music, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, and on Podcast Addict. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and be sure to come back next week for another episode. Until then, keep reading, nerd.